Good morning. Um, I shared with the first service that every time I get up here, I tend to say something like, I am super excited about the text that we're looking at today. At the risk of being repetitive, I am super excited about the text that we're uh, looking at today. In fact, I'm excited about the whole book of Exodus and the sermon series that we're in. So for those of you who maybe haven't been here for the past couple weeks or for those who have, but in the way of a little bit of a refresher, uh, let me remind you where we're at in the journey. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard from Pastor Kim, and she was really setting the stage at the beginning of Exodus. And what we found was that the Hebrew people were in Egypt, they were blessed, they were multiplying, but they were suffering intense oppression, intense oppression. And Pastor Kim shared that it it was almost as if there was a plan to exterminate an entire group of people or at the very least, diminish them. But God had a different plan. God was going to rescue them out of that oppression and not rescue them just for their sake, just for the sake of rescue. But that nation would be a light to the rest of the world, that other people would actually come to know God through the nation of Israel, through the Hebrew people. And if you were here last week, you heard from Pastor Drew, how there was one of those, one of those Hebrews, his name was Moses, but he wasn't just from the uh, people of, of, of God, the Hebrews, he wasn't just from that, he was raised in privilege. He was raised in the king of Egypt's home, in Pharaoh's own home, and so he had influence, he had privilege, but he would find himself in exile, but it was in exile that an amazing thing happened. And he encountered God. And you heard from Pastor Drew sharing how that beautiful moment in which he was walking past the burning bush. And it was when he stopped and turned that God spoke to him. That God introduced himself to him. And he didn't start by saying, hi, I'm God. Let me tell you all about me. He said, Moses, Moses, I know you. I know you. And not only did God know him, but God had a plan for him. God was going to use Moses to be the leader of the Hebrew people and to lead them out of oppression. And Moses was hesitant. He didn't feel like he was up for the task. He, was, he felt inadequate. He wrestled with God a little bit. But that's where we're finding ourselves today. He agrees. He agrees. And today we're in chapter 5 and 6. And this is the part where he steps out in his first act as a leader. But after he agrees, right at the end, I want to take us right to the end of chapter 4. The very last verse of chapter 4 is when he and Aaron come back. He's coming back out of exile and he's telling the people, he's like, hey, I've heard from God. God actually revealed his name to us. God says he doesn't forget us. God has a promise for us. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be led out into freedom. And his fellow Hebrew brothers and sisters, they were like, that's awesome. They were like, go God, go Moses. And there's this expectation 
And that's where we find ourselves today. So if you open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at chapter 5. We're going to read the first nine verses, but please leave your Bibles open because we're going to be looking at a lot in chapter 5 and 6. We're going to bounce around a little bit and look at, look at the text. But if you'll read along with me in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And it says this, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. Let my people go so they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. Verse 2, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to him, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from the work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous, who's they, the Hebrew people, they are more numerous than the people of the land, and you want them to stop working. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before, let them go and gather straw for themselves, but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon them. Then they will labor and they will pay no attention to deceptive words. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. So things aren't going so well. The first act as a leader, God has him confront Pharaoh And things are not winding up very well. And as we're going to see in these two chapters, Moses is going to encounter a ton of skepticism. A ton of skepticism. And we see it right here in these first few few verses. It, you know, comes blatantly from Pharaoh. But that's not it. We're just, that's not the only. We're going to see skepticism come from three sources. Three sources. And how Moses navigates that and how he responds, I believe is very important for you and me. And here's why. Skepticism uh, spans time and, and space, right? So we do with skepticism today. And for us as believers, we got to understand really what skepticism is. And if you want to boil it down to the simplest of definitions, the the most elementary, like, descriptive of what is skepticism, I'm going to suggest that it's it's resistance, right? So if I'm a skeptic, I, I resist you. I resist what you're telling me, or I reject it, or I don't buy it. I'm not convinced. I just, I just don't accept it. That's skepticism. And we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I mean, we have to live our life by faith. And faith is actually completely opposite of skepticism. They're like polar opposites. Because what is faith at its very simplest elementary description? Faith is like, as opposed to like a skeptic saying, I reject, I don't accept. Faith is, I do accept. I, I, I do believe that. I, I do trust that. 
I may not see how all is going to pan out, but I'm putting my hope in that. I have an expectation. And so for you and I, if we want to like, from a very practical sense, if we want to live our life where we, we want to walk out this Christian life, like we literally want to try to follow Jesus every day, everywhere, with everyone, everyone. I'm telling you, that requires you and I to exercise faith in order to even try to do that, right? And so in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, there's this beautiful verse, this beautiful description of what faith is. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I actually love the King James Version there. It's, it's faith is the substance of, of things hoped for. There is, there is something so tangible about it. But here's what's interesting. Like, it's, not like, it, it's not like hope as in like wishful thinking. No, the idea, the New Testament idea of hope, the idea of hope in Hebrews 11 is closer to expectation, not wishful thinking. So it's not like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm wishing it's going to turn out something, some way. No, it's more like, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I have an expectation that God's going to be with me. I have an expectation that it's good. There's like this tangibility. There's a substance to faith. And it says it's the conviction of things not seen. It's like, I, I can't see it fully, but I have a conviction and I believe it. And that's what faith is. And skepticism is the opposite of that. Where faith says, I accept. Skepticism says, I reject. And so for you and I, learning from this ancient text is very important. What we see take place, I believe, is completely relevant today because if we as followers of Christ don't know how to navigate skepticism from its many sources, I believe that it can actually start to erode our faith. So this text is important. And like I said, we're going to see it from three angles. So if you're a note taker, you can put next to the title, there's kind of a subtitle, might jog your memory, what we're really going to focus on today, it's called Three Skeptics. And the first skeptic we just read, it's Pharaoh. Right, Pharaoh is just, well, and honestly, did we not expect this? I mean, I mean, there's millions of people, they are performing slave labor, and, and Moses is going to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, we want to have a time out. It shouldn't be surprising that, 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 that Pharaoh is skeptical. And what's interesting in verse 2 is that he says this, Pharaoh says this, I, I, don't, I don't know God. I don't know the Lord. Now, I want us to think about something real quick. Initially, can we fault him? Now, I'm not talking later, and if you tune in next week, you're going to hear, hear Pastor Drew teaching on the plagues. So, by the way, this whole confrontation with Pharaoh is not going to be wrapped up in today's sermon. It's an ongoing confrontation. I'm not talking about later when God has revealed himself to Pharaoh, but I'm talking about initially. 
initially. Can we really fault Pharaoh? Can we really fault people in our lives that honestly say, I don't know God. I don't know God. Can we fault them for being skeptical? What's interesting about Pharaoh is like, he doesn't know God. So he doesn't understand their behavior. Like if he knew God, he would say, of course you've got to worship God. But he doesn't know God, so he doesn't understand their behavior. And by the time you get to verse 9, he's saying, your words are deceptive. He's actually suspicious. That can happen to us today. As we encounter people that don't know our God, they've not seen him. They've not experienced liberty. They've not experienced truth. And they don't understand what you and I do. And honestly, they might even be a little bit suspicious. And it's so tough to respond well in those situations. And we see in the very next verse, we see how Moses responds. And here's how he responds. Pharaoh, you're just flat wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. No, he doesn't say that. Do you think that's effective? (laughs) By the way, Pharaoh, um, you know, your belief system that you've built your entire life on, you know, growing up thinking the Egyptian gods were gods, that's just ridiculous. Let me tell you why my God is the God and why you're just messed up. No, that's not how he responds and that's not how we should respond either. But what he does is I love how he responds. The very next verse says, the God of Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Did you catch that? They weren't even talking to Pharaoh. They weren't trying to go toe-to-toe. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to logic people into the kingdom of God. You know that, right? Right? But what you can do is talk about what God has done in your life. And they're like, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Man, we got to go worship him. This is what I got to do in response to this. But that's so hard. That's so hard to do because we want to convince people, if you've experienced liberty, if you've experienced God, you, you want other people to. And it's frustrating when they don't get it. It's frustrating when they're skeptical. It's frustrating when they reject. About nine years ago, I was on staff at a church in the Midwest. And uh, it was the largest church in the region. And we were in a college town. There was five colleges and universities. And um, we were pretty well known in the community because of our size and because of our involvement. So we were very active in the public school system. We were, every year we were remodeling a couple of schools. We were very engaged in the foster care system. We had a 4th of July community event that drew 100,000 people every year. We were very, very out there. But in all of our events, we were very, very clear as to why we were doing what we were doing. We were followers of Jesus Christ. And people knew where we stood. We, weren't in an, we didn't do it in an abrasive way, but they understood that if we were doing this outreach event, if we were doing this ministry, it's because we're followers of Jesus Christ and we believe in what he says. 
And, and so as you can imagine, there's going to be people that don't exactly agree with that. And so one Sunday morning, we're in our pastor's prayer meeting that we had every Sunday at the beginning of the day where we just spend a half an hour, 45 minutes, and we'd be praying over the day, the services, the ministries. And uh, it was pretty much dedicated to prayer, but one of us had to make an announcement. They learned the night before that on Facebook, there was, there was a flash mob being planned at our worship services to disrupt our worship services that Sunday. It was being organized by the, the largest university in our town had an atheist club. And they knew that we had a high view of scripture and they knew that we believed in God, how dare us. And, and they, they wanted to come and literally have a flash mob and disrupt our services where they were planning on standing up in the middle of the service and espouse their viewpoint. So imagine this morning if at some point a dozen or more people started popping up and like backtalking me. So we learned about this. So what do we do? Of course, we pray. We, we pray. But then we said, hey, if any of us learn that these people are on campus, uh, get the word out. Because we've got to figure out how to respond. Is there going to be a security issue? How do we engage them? You know, get the, get the word out. So sure enough, I get a call in between the Sunday morning services that we think that some of these protesters are, are in our cafe area. So my wife, Karen, and I decide to go check it out. I introduce myself to a couple people, and I would eventually find the, lead, the president of the Atheist Club. And uh, things that, you know, their plan hadn't developed just yet because it's actually between services. Uh, and so he agreed to sit down with my wife, Karen, and I and have some coffee. And so this guy and a couple of other students sat down with Karen and I, and we started talking. And he was incredibly skeptic, skeptical. I mean, he was just rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. He was polite, but incredibly skeptical. And I'm telling you, he knew the word of God better than a lot of Christians. And he was throwing these verses at me and all this stuff. And, and, but he was so polite and I don't know how the conversation got to this point. I don't know how it changed, but somehow it got to the point that I was able to start sharing my testimony with them. And, and some of you know my story, and I'm not going to go into all the details today, but in college, I was completely in the drug scene, and I got totally out of control, and I got addicted to cocaine. And I was way out of control. And I was powerless to stop. And I had friends and professionals actually even try to do interventions and they couldn't help me. So, I mean, I was pretty far gone. I was in bondage. But when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that bondage was released and I was delivered from my addiction and I was a completely different person. Amen, yes. I wouldn't be here today if God hadn't done that. Honestly, I don't even know if I'd be alive. But um, so here I am, and, and he's, he doesn't interrupt me. 
this atheist lets me tell my whole story. I get done, and I'll never forget how he responded. He leaned across the table, and he said something like this. I am so glad that you found the strength within yourself to change yourself. I'm like, no! Were you not listening? It's God. You know, it's so frustrating when you're so convinced that you have the answer for somebody and they just don't see it. So how does Moses respond? Moses just responds by, first off, he just explains what God has done in his life. By the way, I made the mistake in the first service of not telling you how the story ended and I had people like, how did it end? (laughs) There was no flash mob. There's no flash mob. And I don't know, I don't know why, because he certainly was not convinced with my testimony, but... But the neat thing is, is I, I actually, grew, I was growing to like this guy, and I'm Facebook friends with him today. And every once in a while, he will like one of my posts, and I'm like, see, you're watching. <laughs> but it can be frustrating when you put it all out on the line, and then people still reject it. But we can learn something from this. And, and I believe God, the way God responds to Moses is, is it's good for us. It's good information for us. Like I said, we're not going to read all of this, but let me just tell you, chapter 5 and 6 is this kind of this back and forth dialogue between God and Moses, right? Because Moses confronts Pharaoh. It's not turning out well. And Moses is talking to God about it. And this is one of those moments. And, and, and so in chapter 6 and verse 1, God's kind of giving him a little bit of a pep talk. And what does God say? He says, Moses, the, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do in Pharaoh. Did you catch that? You're going to see what I will do. Indeed, by a mighty hand, he will let them go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of the land. I'm going to jump into chapter 7 a little bit. We're going to talk about chapter 7 next week, but I need you to see something. Chapter 7, verse 4, God's still encouraging Moses. When Moses is like, it's not panning out, God, what do I do? In verse 4, when God talking to, to Moses, when Pharaoh doesn't listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring out my people. Did you catch that? Like, God is telling Moses right up front, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. But then God goes on and says in verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am God when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and I bring out the Israelites from among them. The the whole idea here is, look, God's going to change people. God is going to change people and circumstances. So when we encounter this kind of skepticism, We should not be put under all the pressure of like, if I don't convince this person, they're going to hell. That's not your job. That's not my job. Our job is to be obedient and speak what God is telling us to speak. And we leave the rest in his hands. And I find it really interesting that God knew that Pharaoh wasn't going to respond. 
And yet, he still had Moses speak. So sometimes, I think we make a decision if we're going to speak based on if we think we're going to be successful or not. My boldness is tied up sometimes, unfortunately, with whether or not I think it's going to be effective. God calls us to be bold. You look all throughout Scripture. You cannot read the Bible where he is not calling us to be bold, where he is not calling us to proclaim truth. So this whole idea of if, it's, if, if, if a person is skeptical or if I perceive them to be, I'm not even going to share, that's not the truth. What we don't want to do is try to hammer them into believing. Now, I didn't share this in the first service, but... Um, I think my daughter, my teenage daughter is in the room and and she might disagree with me, but I think in some areas as a parent, I'm kind of laid back. And uh, like I said, she's probably going to disagree with me. But Karen and I have chosen to kind of choose our battles. And and we don't harp on our 20-year-old son, 16-year-old daughter, we don't harp on them too much about how they talk. Now, you may judge me for that, but we don't get hung up too much on how they talk. We're much more concerned about attitude. But my kids will tell you, there's a phrase that they sometimes use, and a lot of people use it today, that when I hear it, I ask them to stop. And it's the phrase, you do you. Have you heard that? You do you. I'll do me. You do you. I'm a huge fan of tolerance. We've seen the ugliness of intolerance. Don't confuse tolerance with saying you never speak truth to people. If I go around with the philosophy of you do you, then I'm actually not loving you because I'm not speaking to you. I'm not telling you what God has done for me. And if I love you, I want you to experience the freedom and the peace that I've experienced. So when we encounter this type of skepticism, let's let's follow the pattern here. Let's not get hung up on the results, but let's be obedient. Let's be humble. I love how Moses responded. I feel like this is such humility. But this isn't the only type of skepticism he encounters. The next one, man, this is like, this is difficult. Like, we expected Pharaoh to be skeptical, right? Do you remember me saying at the end of the previous chapter, the Hebrew people are like, go, 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 God. Go, Moses. But what happens when things start going awry? In verse 15, the Israelite supervisors came to Pharaoh and cried, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw? So they go back and they're like, can you rethink this one? This is not realistic. You want us to make the same amount of bricks, but you're not going to give us straw. Pharaoh is unsympathetic. Unsympathetic. So what happens? Verse 19, the Israelite supervisors saw they were in trouble when they were told, you will not lessen your daily number of bricks. They're like, ugh. Okay, so this is not working so well. So what do they do? 
Verse 20, as they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron who were waiting to meet them. They said to them, the Lord look upon you and judge. You've brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and you've put a sword in their hands to kill us. They're skeptical of Moses' leadership. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but this is tough. This is tough. If you've ever stepped out because you believe God is asking you to do something, if you've ever stepped into leadership or just stepping out into a calling, and that doesn't mean you have to be on staff at a church, but if you've ever stepped out to do something that you believe God has put in your heart and you feel like you have people around you that are supportive and then adversity comes or challenge comes and then all of a sudden they turn on you, that's brutal. You're like, I thought you guys were with me. I thought you were with me. So this is the second type of skepticism that's being directed at, at Moses. Things are really not working out well. How does he respond? I tell you how Greg would respond on a not so great day if I were Moses. I would uh, probably want to justify myself, explain myself, talk about the reason. You think you could do better? You think you could do better? Do you really know what God asked me to do? He asked me to go to talk to Pharaoh and ask us to go on a vacation for three days. Do you think you could have done better? You want to start justifying or you want to talk about your credentials. Oh, you don't like my leadership? You don't like the way I'm doing things? Not happy with the results? Well, God put me in charge. Did he talk to you in the burning bush? I'm just saying. That's what I would want to do on a bad day. Get defensive. Start justifying. Talk about my rights. Is that what Moses does? No. Verse 22, when Moses turned again to the Lord, this was right after they said, you've made a stench in Pharaoh, Pharaoh's nostrils. You've you've made it worse for us. Then what does he do? Moses turned again to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? And then he starts to get really raw. Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated his people. And you, God, have done nothing to deliver them. I love this response. I love this response because, you know what? He's just being real and raw with God. He's taking his frustrations to God. He didn't take it to the people. It's so easy to turn on the people, but he took his frustrations to God. And I'm telling you, if you read the Bible, read Psalms, read Scripture, people all throughout history have taken their junk to God. They've emoted to God. They've complained to God. God, don't you see what's going on? Have you forgotten me? God, I'm not seeing this. It's not turning out okay at all. You know, God is big enough to handle that. He's big enough for us to take our frustration to him, to be real with him. I love the fact that he didn't retaliate because that's got to hurt. The people you thought were with you, you turn back and they're like, that's low, that hurts. 
but he responds well. And I think another reason that he responds well is because he did something that we often don't do. And that is we put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Try to see it from their perspective. In verse 9 of chapter 6, Moses is continuing to try to encourage the people and be like, no, I promise you, God spoke to me in the bush. God will liberate us. But look what it says in verse 9. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they could not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and cruel slavery. You know, when we get skepticism or criticism directed at us, it's helpful if we try to understand where that person is coming from. Their spirit was broken. When we understand where people are coming from, it helps us, I believe, to respond better when that gets directed towards us. And finally, it would not be good if I didn't mention the third type of skepticism because I think all of us have experienced this at one point or another in our walk. And that's where Moses is skeptical of himself. Where you don't feel up for the task that God is asking you to do. You don't feel equipped. You don't feel you're ready. Now Moses was skeptical before, right? He was skeptical last week. If you heard from Pastor Drew, he's like, I don't think so. But he stepped out and he did it anyway. Now how do you think he feels? If he was skeptical before, then he steps out and he's rejected and actually his own people aren't listening to him. It says in verse 12, but Moses spoke to the Lord, the Israelites have not listened to me. My own people won't listen to me, God. How then will Pharaoh listen to me, the poor speaker that I am? And the chapter ends with verse 30. It's again, he's just like self-doubt. He's his own big skeptic, biggest skeptic. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, since I'm a poor speaker, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Now, at the beginning I was talking about how faith and skepticism are at complete odds with one another. There is a point in which you and I just have to do what Moses does. It's simple, but not easy. What does Moses do? He's, he's received skepticism from Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejects God, rejects his faith, doesn't understand him, is suspicious. His own people are skeptical of his leadership because it's not turning out so well. He's skeptical of himself. He's like, I, I told you, God, I wasn't up for this. In chapter 7, this is what he does. In verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Despite the skepticism, despite feeling completely inadequate, it says that they just did what God commanded it. Now, I'm not pretending like this is easy. And if we're, if we're feeling like we're not up to something, 
I'm not saying this is easy, but there is a part of faith that just does this. God said it. I'm going to do it. It's that Hebrews 11.1. The substance. There's an expectancy. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I'm going to believe you are who you say you are. And I believe that you're going to do what you promise you'll do. That's the type of faith that counteracts skepticism. Where at the end of the day, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I can't believe you're asking me to do this, God. But I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. And that's my hope and prayer for you. That's my hope and prayer for me, for all of us. That you will have that kind of faith. That faith will grow in you. The kind of faith that is always growing in you that says, I don't see it all, yet I choose to believe. I don't see it all, but I choose to take God as word. I don't see it all, but I'm going to believe that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he promises he'll do. I pray that that is growing in all of us, that through that growing faith, you and I will be able to step into all that God has for us in this season. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can learn from an ancient story uh, with people that are very normal people. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together. God, I'm so thankful that we can learn through broken people more about you. God, and I pray that you'll give us that kind of faith, ever-increasing faith. God, it is a, it's a simple concept. It's not easy to live out, but will you give us the strength to live by faith? God, and if there's anybody in this room or listening online that may be like Pharaoh who can honestly say, I don't know God. And I am skeptical. I don't know God. God, would you please reveal yourself to them like you did to Moses. God, will you please draw them to you? And God, will you move in their heart? Let them know who you are and what you have for them, what you have for all of us. We thank you for all of these things in the precious and the mighty, the powerful and the loving name of Jesus. Amen.